what we need this morning, John 1, if you want to open your Bibles, what we need to hear, excuse me, what we need to hear more than anything is the voice of God, and isn't it a great thing that God speaks to us uh, through His Word, and as His Spirit illuminates this Word, but I will say this, there are times, tragically, that we become acquainted with God's Word, we know of it, we have proximity to it, we even perhaps read it and hear it read. And we resist it. When we don't honor God's word and we don't heed God's word. And the result of that is not blessing at all for us. It's rather the curse of God. And we even see this in the Old Testament prophet uh, Amos. We see it elsewhere too. Where God actually pronounces a curse on his people because they won't heed the word of God. It's a dangerous thing. I know our text is John 1. But just listen if you would to this from Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine to the land. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What does that mean? Well, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, a scholar and a, a pastor, writes this in commentary to that. This is a picture of those who reject God, but who are driven to seek for what God alone is able to give. When truth is rejected for lies, we cannot find contentment. Now, I would guess perhaps you will agree with me that when you look out on our time and our culture in our particular moment, and we, we see that this is indeed our problem. That we live in a time and we live in a season where people are searching but they're not discovering. I mean, honestly, where has there been a place in human history, a time when people in our particular culture and uh, and specifically where there has been so much by way of resources and, and knowledge and education and money and entertainment and yet not peace and contentment? Where, where have we seen a place that's so prosperous and yet, honestly, so restless? That we're lacking. We're not able to see. Even with all of that, all the abundance of that, we're not able to, to prize and to perceive and to lay hold of precious things like wisdom and that jewel of contentment. It's actually going to be kind of the focus for a number of weeks as I come back and preach, and it's this, a searching for blank in all the wrong places. And we're going to hit on some different themes like joy or hope or love, things that we naturally search for, but sometimes we search for them in the wrong places. And, I'm not, and I don't mean this as a critique to people out there somewhere. I'm, I'm talking to us, that we ourselves are searching for some of these things, but yet in the wrong place. Now, if you want to know what the right place is, and if you want to go to the right source, I'll go ahead and give you the answer. It's going to be the answer every week we cover this. Um, It was captured, actually, in uh, maybe you've heard the story of a pastor who was doing a a children's sermon down front at church, and uh, he said, now, kids, I want you to raise your hand if you know what the right answer is. He says, "Uh, what's gray? And it has uh, has a tail. He pauses. And he says, uh, and it scurries around in trees. Pause. No one's raising their hand. Raise your hand if you know the right answer, kids, he says. Uh, and it really likes nuts, and it's small enough to jump from limb to limb. Finally, one little kid raised his hand, and he said, I, I, I know it sounds a lot like a gray squirrel, but the answer has to be Jesus. <laughs> and, 
And sometimes, isn't that the case, you know, that the obvious, the most obvious thing is something that we, uh, we take for granted or that we, we push aside. And so this morning, I'm just saying, hopefully you won't see it as too much of a stretch to say that if we want to find joy and things like hope and love, that we need to find it in the person and the work of Jesus in any true, substantial way. And now maybe you're here this morning, and you're saying, I, you know, but yeah, I'm not persuaded of that. To be honest, I'm, I'm not. That's not where I'm at. That wouldn't be my answer. Uh, Jesus wouldn't be the answer. And it wouldn't be a gray squirrel either. And, uh, and that's okay. In fact, I'm glad you're here. And I, and I hope that you would bear with us even today. I'm not asking you to suspend your disbelief so you can watch and appreciate some kind of movie or be entertained. I'm saying, would you just listen and, and engage with, with me and with us for a moment here in, in God's Word? And, uh, and this one, uh, this particular week, we're looking at John 1, where Jesus' closest disciple and friend arguably. Uh, John is, is illustrating something. He's unpacking something. This is sometimes referred to as the, as the kind of prologue to this entire account pointing to the person and work of Jesus. And I'm going to begin here in verse 9. So hear this. This is the word of God. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Speaking of Jesus here. Verse 10, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who would receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Father, right now we ask that You would grant to us faith, uh, the ability to focus and have some clarity concerning truth. Would You help uh, truth to shine forth so that some of our temptations maybe, some of our troubles, some of our distractions, even some of our Vain ambitions this morning would fade away because of the brightness of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Two important, well at least interesting people died this week. You may have picked it up uh, on the news. Pang Chang Kuei. He was the creator of General Chow's Chicken. And a guy named Jim uh, Delgatti. And he was the maker of the Big Mac. I know this is true because I read it on Facebook. And uh, this week... This very week, both, this is true, but I, I, I consulted other sources. This very week, both of those guys died. I told you these were interesting people. I thought they were important people, okay? And, uh, but the interesting thing about it is that they both died at the ripe old age of 98. And what does that tell us? Well, what I've known to be true all along, you've got to eat things like that if you want to live a long time. I actually went to a Chinese restaurant last night and picked up some to-go General Chow's chicken. I just wish that there was some left over for lunch because all of my kids just swarmed in. No, I'm not talking about... Uh, you, I mean, it's easy to follow that logic, right? Especially if we like those kinds of uh, things to say, oh, see, well, this is the key to longevity and it doesn't matter what you eat. But I'm not talking this morning about nutritional truth. We're talking about absolute truth. The absolute truth is something that is, uh, is, is difficult. And quite frankly, a lot of times... Uh, we're searching for truth in the wrong places and we find that our truth in our particular uh, life and culture and time is that it's governed so often by public opinion 
or our personal feelings or our own interests or desires. Uh, oftentimes, it's governed by shifting, ever-shifting academic theories and absolute truth. My friends, well, we just, our culture will say it's not even attainable. It's not even relevant. It is relative. It's not something that uh, even exists that we could find. And in the, in the end, you've even heard this before. Listen, what's right, what's right, for, right it, for you is right, and what's true for me is true, and so let's just not worry about it. In the end, you've heard this perhaps from others, is all that really matters is that you're sincere. Right? We, don't, we don't need to bother with, with, with all of these finer details of, of truth. We just need to be sincere. Well, I, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes we have to come to grips with other realities. And there is an absolute truth. And if this afternoon you're on your roof hanging up Christmas lights like I was yesterday and you think to yourself, hey, I really truly sincerely believe that I'm not going to fall. But if you do, let me tell you, gravity doesn't care anything about your sincerity, right? I didn't fall, by the way. But, uh, but, but you get the point, right? That there is something that is governing uh, our lives that is absolute truth. And, in, and naturalism would say, as opposed to theism, naturalism says that the source of, of all of life in, in the midst of the cosmos, we would just reason that, that we are here. Uh, and that uh, natural causes over time are, are the reason for what, uh, what we know and what we experience and who we are. But theism says that there is no a, a transcendent God and creator who made the universe. So my, this morning I just asked you, is truth something that humanity creates or is it something that God reveals God, who is the, the absolute. He is the, the ultimate object of our very existence. He is the one. Is he the one who reveals truth? Well, John reinforces that. John definitely reinforces that, and Jesus too, as we'll see later. But the question I really want you to grapple with, even as you leave here today, is this. What is your, what is our relationship to truth? What's your relationship to truth? Now, I've got some headings. Here's how I'm going to kind of divide this text up, if you're taking notes. And the first question is this. Who? Truth revealed. Why is the second one? Truth rejected. Third is how. How is truth received? And then the last question is just, so what? What does it have to do? So this first question, who? Uh, truth revealed. Uh, John opens his gospel. He talks about earlier in, chapter, uh, in, in the chapter in verse 1. How Jesus is the Logos, the Word, and how the Word was with God, and that through that Word, God made the world. And it's referring, of course, to the person of Jesus, even though at that time, He didn't have a body. But we know that Jesus, verse 3, has eternally existed before the world and its beginning, and He existed as God. And then, and then our focus, verses 9 to 14, the bookends of that, if you look there, are verse 9, the true light... Right, is coming, and then what is what does it close with? That Jesus came with grace and truth. So truth kind of formed the bookends of this uh, short uh, set of verses here, and Jesus is coming with light, both in space and time. That's why we celebrate. Jesus is the embodiment of of truth that we we rejoice in at this season, and He reveals a lot more to us. There's a, a great deal that's already revealed just in. The general revelation in God's creation that we look out and we see and we appreciate. But Jesus comes and he brings even more clarity, even more light, even more revelation as to uh, the person of God and his nature. And he doesn't just bring um, insight. He doesn't just bring information. He actually brings with him uh, the light of beauty 
and he shines into darkness. And then he also brings, at the same time, the weight of glory. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, Jonathan Edwards, who was a great philosopher and, uh, and one of the greatest uh, theologians in American history, he writes this in The Nature of True Virtue. He says, For as God is infinitely the greatest being, so he is infinitely the most beautiful and excellent. All the beauty to be found throughout the whole creation is but a reflection of the diffused beams of that being who hath infinite fullness of brightness and glory. God is the fountain of all being and of all beauty. And I would add truth, the fountain of truth and beauty. Because then you see there in verse 14 of our text that Jesus reveals uh, even more because we're beholding His glory. Now that's a whole word that is, uh, is like loaded springs with, uh, with meaning and significance worthy of us just meditating on the glory of God. But let's be honest. And that, by the way, that word glory in the Hebrew is uh, kavod, which literally means the heavy. You, you get that, right? The, the weight of that, God's glory. Do you feel that? Do you, do you at any point, have you ever experienced the, the, the gravity, so to speak, or the inertia of who God is? I hope so. I have to be honest though, oftentimes, for me, it's not the weight of God's glory. I find myself, I, I can feel myself being manipulated and, and carrying so much, putting so much weight on people's opinions. People's opinions about other things, people's opinions about me. And there are times when I, I know that when I'm asking questions about truth, in any small way or, or any personal way, that I'm, I'm being governed at times, even controlled by my desires and my imaginations and not what God's truth is and the, the, the weight, if you will, of all of these things. So God's glory, though, um, for us is made manifest. Uh, it's, it's brought into the world, shining through the brilliance of Jesus. But then this next question that I want us to consider is the why. Why, why is truth rejected? I mean, for for us here, as we read in the text, if you look uh, at verses 10 and 11, the answer, at least in part, uh, to the who of the rejection is there. Because there's, there is in view here, in verse 10 and 11, a context. The first context is all the, all the folks, all the people in the world that should have known, it should be apparent to them that there's a God, but yet they don't, they don't perceive Him. Let me read the verse again for us. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. Which is not to say that they had a problem with um, perception, but a problem with self-deception. It's not that it wasn't apparent. It wasn't that, that there wasn't enough uh, you know, tangible there. It's that they just assumed that, that we by nature just assumed that we're perfectly fine without Jesus. We're glad to keep him at arm's length. Even for people in his day. E- even for those who witnessed firsthand his mercy and his might and his, his power, uh, they too, many of them, did not recognize him in the truest sense. They didn't surrender to him. They didn't want to have anything further to do with him. Because it, wasn't, it, it was a volitional thing. It wasn't just a, gee, I'm ignorant, sorry I didn't know, but willfully saying, I don't want you to govern my life. I don't want your authority. And I don't care about your message, Jesus. 
You know, the other context here is verse 11, because Jesus came to that which was his own. That's the Jews. And his own, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. And that was the case for many of them as well. For many of them, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a promised king who would be triumphant and political and, uh, and deliver them for... Uh, it's not that they didn't recognize his claims. They heard it loud and clear. But they rejected it because it wasn't what they had assumed and anticipated and desired. In Jesus, they didn't want a humble savior. They wanted a triumphant king, which he will be someday. But why then? Why now? Why do people reject Jesus now? Well, it kind of comes back to my question, you know. Uh, what's your relationship with truth? And, and that's kind of the key, the key right there, that word even, relationship. You just, just, just imagine that you're new to town and, uh, and you're trying to build you know, connections and relationships and friendships. And, uh, and you, you begin to converse with people and you, you hit it off with someone. And it doesn't, doesn't have to be romantic. You're, you're, just, you're desiring a friend and you meet over coffee one day. And then, you know, you find out that uh, they, they have some terms. And they say, look, I, you know, I, I like you and uh, I'd like to be your friend. But uh, I, I just want to be, be really clear. If we're going to be friends, if we're going to have a relationship, you can never contradict me. Yeah, you know, you know, I, you just you 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 can't disagree with me. I I I always need to be right. Well, that's not going anywhere. That's not going to work. I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I've done a lot of other marriage counseling. It doesn't work. And we laugh at that, but I honestly think that that's part of the problem because in our natural state, we want to relate to God that way. Because when God confronts us, he corrects us, he challenges our assumptions, we resist. We don't, I can't believe in a God like that. We may, we may explicitly say, or even subtly, we resist, and many people do. They say, I don't, I don't want a God like that. I would prefer to be autonomous. I want to be a law unto myself. Why do we reject the truth? Friends, because at times it's inconvenient. It's because... Here's one of the reasons that we reject the truth. It's because we are all by nature bargain hunters. Now, now I'm not talking about in the, in, the, in the most strictive sense, you know, we're coupon grabbers or we're, you know, Black Friday early shoppers or that we are haggling for good deals. But that we're... We're bargaining with the truth because the truth is something that is, is scary and it is costly at times. And we relate to it with denial and delay. One author, Bill Edgar, puts it this way. We prefer the relative comfort of spiritual complacency against the high cost of looking into the face of truth. We prefer that. We prefer to be indifferent or complacent or delay or deny or to distract ourselves than coming to the costly look right into the face of truth. Because sometimes we delay it. We say, you know what, I'll just deal with, you know, we don't altogether deny it. We just, we just delay. We say, I'll deal with the, the weightier things. I'll deal with all those spiritual matters at a different season of life. And maybe you're a young person here today. And if you're honest, that's exactly what you would say. And you know what I want to say to you? Don't bargain. Don't bargain with the urgency of truth. 
bargaining. Sometimes we avoid it. We have all kinds of tactics, don't we? Because we just, we just bring in, we bring in you know, selfish pleasures. We bring in some type of entertainment or even a host of other distractions. Bargaining with truth. But then when we have to kind of grapple with some, you know, some form of truth, even in the, the heavier things, well, then we look for that which is most accommodating. We, we, we try to seek out that which is the most convenient, the most that accords with our life and our wants and our desires. You know, just this is maybe a silly illustration of this, but maybe you can relate to it, right? You got a big event coming up, a big celebration or something. It's an outdoor vacation or it's an event that involves, uh, you know, a large gathering outside and, and you really want to go and you really want this to come off well and, and you want there to be, you know, no clouds in the sky and definitely can't have any rain and what do you do? In anticipation of that great big event, well, you turn to the 10-day forecast, which is the most absurd piece of news in the whole wide world. Let's be honest. It has no bearing whatsoever on reality. Uh, that's always shifting, right? Oh, but then you look at the five-day forecast. And then, and then maybe like you know, two or three days out, you're like, dude, this is not looking good. Uh, the forecast, of course, in New England, that doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> you know, the old saying that I've learned as a southerner here is, uh, welcome to New England, you know? Don't like the weather? Wait a few hours. Um, but, but you understand what I'm saying. There are times, let's be honest, when we hear the forecast and we don't like it, and instead of going to weather.com, we go to accuweather.com. And we say, what's the forecast on that one? Oh, look, I like this meteorologist. They're saying and calling for only a 40% chance of rain. I'll stay on that forecast. Am I alone in this? Has anyone else done this? That's where we dial in. But if you come, my friends, face to face with the truth of Jesus, and let's be even more specific, the truth, not about Jesus, but the truth from Jesus, it's not cheap, it's not easy, it's not convenient, especially when Jesus speaks with, with clarity and truthfulness about our lives, about our priorities, about his exclusivity, about our purity, about forgiving and loving our enemies. That's where we come in contact with the costly surrender. Do we resist? Do we reject that? Well, naturally, friends, people search for joy. People say, well, I'm not searching for truth. I'm, you know, I, that's, that's all ethereal and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of out there. I, I just want some joy and a little bit of peace. Naturally. But to find true joy, to find true love, to find true hope, to find truth at all, it costs us something. But in the end, if in Christ, our hope is, is sure. And it's this, it doesn't disappoint you will know the truth, Jesus said, and it will set you free. Jesus, Jesus said, I am the truth. Wow. So how then? How would we receive this truth? That's my third question. The truth received, let's look at verses 12 and 13. Let me just read it again for us. Yet, or maybe your translation says but, this is good news right here. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 
Now, this is a difficult this is a difficult truth in and of itself to swallow, isn't it? Let's just be honest. This challenges our assumptions that everyone's a child of God. It doesn't say that. that. Not everyone is a child of God. In fact, by nature, we rebel against God. And we need to be adopted into God's family. But that's not something that we achieve. It's instead something that we receive. And the way we receive the truth is by recognizing and yielding to and trusting in a person. Because the greatest of God's truth ultimately is not something intellectual or propositional. The revelation of truth that is greatest and sweetest to us is relational. Our, God's truth to us is relation, relational because God doesn't want us to just affirm some, you know, some list of you know, academic you know, intellectual truths about the world and reality. He wants us to embrace a relationship with him. That's what he desires. What a, what a profound thing. And we can't do this. He doesn't, want just, he doesn't even want just a list of, of moral codes that we abide by. He wants relationship. But we can't do this through human power, our own will. It comes through repentance. And that's, quite frankly, what's, what's in view here. This isn't something that is achieved you know, biologically or, 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 or through a physical means. Uh, this is something that happens spiritually and it comes when we surrender and we trust in the truth of who Jesus is like a child and we cry out for grace and mercy and to receive the truth is is to is to reject something at times it means that we we cast off our trust in ourselves and that's another dangerous thing constantly trusting in ourselves as if that's a, a skept, you know skepticism of everybody else is warranted but don't challenge me to doubt my doubts but that's exactly what the Bible is doing, and Jesus in his life. But the trust in God is to hear the invitation, and it's, it's the, the promise even, because the promise is here, the promise is in Jesus when he says it in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says it, God says it elsewhere. In the life of uh, the people of Israel in Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, verse 12 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and you, if you seek me, and when you seek me, and get this, with all of your heart. Well, that certainly means that I need to lay aside self and trust him. Again, relational. And relational is to love. And, 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 and to want to... To want to relate to someone, to love someone, is to say, I want to know more about you, not less about you. And what we see in the person and work of Jesus that sets us so free is to contemplate that he knows everything about you. He knows everything about my heart, even in those dark recesses. And then he tells us, another, and it's another one of those yet verses, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us to redeem us. Christ's love is relational, takes on flesh, and it is sacrificial. All right, so what? Well, the so what, what should we do with this? Well, in whatever way, shape, or form, your conscience and the Spirit of God right now is telling you, receive Him. Don't resist. <laughs> Don't resist Him today. Please, if you hear his voice and you hear the truth, the truth about what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to go pursue, what you're supposed to forsake, 
what you're supposed to concede in humility. What you need to bring into the light. They cost you, but the truth will set you free. So what? Well, receive him. But also reflect him. And to do both of those, by the way, involves humility. A great deal of humility. To, to either receive him as we're commended here, and it was we're invited here in John 1, or to reflect him, both of them involve humility. To confess, to concede. You know what? I don't know everything. In fact, I still get it wrong. I can be deceived. I can deceive. I can deceive myself. I need to learn. I need to grow. I'm still searching. And we all also need to have humility to put down and to turn off the noise. The noise, just for a moment. Just for a moment to reflect on God's word. To hear from Him truth. Because it's the fountain, it's going to cost us something, but it is the fountainhead. Studying God's word, Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, to learn and digest the word of God requires a fight. We must fight our busy schedules, our distracted minds, our stubborn hearts, and the world's opinion and disdain. It's saying, you know, again and again, I need to learn more truth. And what I discover by God's Spirit, not just by way of, of, of revelation, but His Spirit coming and bringing illumination to this Word, well, quite frankly, it challenges us. It presses us. But at the end of the day, it comforts us. It comforts us, and it calls us to deeper love and deeper relationship. That's part of receiving him. But again, I said there's two parts of the so what. It's not only receiving him and continuing to engage in truth, but it's also reflecting him. Because in this particular chapter, it's talking about Jesus is the true light, and it's saying, you know what? There was a light John the Baptist is referring to there, and, and he was a great reflector, but he was not the true light. And that's what we're called to do. And you're going to have plenty of opportunities to have conversations. And some of you have plenty of opportunities for arguments, uh, you know, with people in your life and all around us. And this is my encouragement to you and certainly to me. Is to remember that we need humility. Because even if we're confident that we have the truth. Oh, why is it so, it's so obvious. Why can't people just see this? Don't forget that God in his mercy revealed himself to you. And you didn't deserve it. You weren't just so bright and wonderful. No, listen. We need to be reminded that Jesus came. Even as we discover truth and we were so proud that we can discern error, it, it, it creates a, 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 an ethos. It creates a posture of condescension towards other people. So my encouragement in close is this. Don't forget that in the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us, that he came, verse 14, undeniably, perfectly, consistently, comprehensively, in the most balanced way, in grace and truth. Not just truth, not just grace, grace and truth. Jesus didn't come into the world to start a culture war, he came to redeem people from darkness and deceit and the anguish of sin. 
Remember that. In your relationship to the truth and your resistance of it in mind too, that he came and resistance in our relationship to people who don't know the truth. Remember, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Do you believe that? Let's believe it together as we pray. Lord Almighty, we thank you for revealing yourself. We thank you for sending us. We pray you would continue to send your spirit even this week and all that lies ahead in our pathway. Would you forgive us? Would you, would you forgive us uh, for the ways that we have avoided the truth by seeking counterfeits? That we have chased after, we've bargained away truth. We've avoided, we've delayed, we've compromised, we've even seared our conscience. We've alienated friends. And we have been, at times, have mercy on us, Lord. We have at times been haphazard or haughty with the truth. Would you protect our hearts and our minds and our lives from the lies of the enemy? That that great deceiver, Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us anew and afresh today in our hearts so that we would love you more and seek relationship with you, the God of truth. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask all of this. Amen.